You're listening to Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary. What sound does the darkness make? What color is a heartbeat? Our eyes see so little of what makes up the world. For all we comprehend, there are pieces that elude us, not wanting to be given form or voice, hidden from all but a few. I am among those few. I have a hypersensitive and seemingly rare form of synesthesia, a condition which makes me interpret sensory stimuli in different ways. I can taste things I see, or attribute colors to smell. But where my particular strength lies is in sound. I can hear almost everything I perceive. I know the noise a blade of grass makes, I can discern the chorus that pours from the clouds. To me, even a scent can be a symphony. As I grew older, I started to utilize this skill to my advantage and became a composer. Music schools wanted nothing to do with me as I had no interest in learning through their methods. But for my type of composition, I didn't need them. Some have called me a conceptual composer, and I suppose in some ways they're correct. My debut piece saw me create a series that perfectly translated the dance of fallen leaves as they twirled through the air on a gust of wind, in such a way that told you the season, the month, even the time of day. I'm a painter, but sound is my paint. Concerts are my exhibitions, recordings my gallery walls. The unique body of work I had accumulated brought me to the attention of the avant-garde art crowd, where my unorthodox methods were vaunted rather than rejected. I became a known name in the right circles and have gone on to produce many pieces, which have all been celebrated in their own way. After my fourth big project, I took some time away to contemplate what my next one would be. After months of consideration, I decided that I was finally ready to tackle something I had been aching to try since I was young, but had never felt prepared for. I was going to capture the human body in sound. A sonic diary of a person from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, realized in musical form. An oral portrait. Once I had formed the basics of the idea, how it would work, and what would be required, I put together a proposal as I normally did, and brought it to Roxanne. Roxanne was my patron. It was she who funded my projects and even set me up in my studio. She was a young woman from the most affluent side of the tracks, with a love of the avant-garde. 
She was more than just another rich girl with access to her father's checkbook and little talent. She was a true believer and a barometer of the bazaar. She was an agent, an exhibitor, a dealer. She spent a lot of money commissioning new artists to create their strange, unwieldy and bizarre works, and made a lot of money in return by selling them. She held exhibitions of the most uncanny outsider art, concerts of people playing showerhead trumpets, or showcased performances of people slapping each other across the face until they bled as a treatise on passion in relationships. In short, she was queen of the art scene. It was she who brought attention to my music in cities around the world. She was extremely eager when she heard of my latest concept and backed it from our first discussion. When I told her that I would require a model who would be available for regular visits and equipped with a particularly open mind so as to be completely on board with what I was trying to achieve, she instantly mentioned someone who she thought would be a perfect fit for the role. Her name was Kara. According to Roxanne, she was 31 years old and had been modeling in the city for the better part of a decade, even booking sessions with some of the highest profile artists in the world on occasion. For my part, I liked her. She was good with instruction, friendly but not too familiar. But most importantly, she understood what was being asked of her. Her features were unusual. Easy, but not delicate. This was no waif. There was a distant quality to her face that was compounded by her serious countenance and heavy eyelids. But she was beautiful, no doubt about it. Not conventionally so. But you could easily see how any artist would have spent long hours agonizing over their paintings to get her right. So it would be with us. Fortunate for us both that, regardless of how she looked, she had everything we needed. Her body shone with song. Each visit, she would arrive, I would give her a glass of water, then set up the lights while she undressed. She took her position on the couch under the lights and found her pose. Then I pressed record on the tape, and we would begin. In these sessions, I ruminated over her, filtering the sounds that came to me and trying to turn them into something usable every once in a while grabbing an instrument and trying to wrestle free the thread of a melody that sang out from her. I would play at my piano, or strike my violin, or get up close and try to feel out a rhythm on a baran. All of it, picked up by the microphones littered around the room. I called these my sketchbook sessions, something I did on every project where I would observe my subject, sketch out my ideas, and listen back to them later, with the hope of it all going towards the creation of the final score. I can't imagine how strange it must have seemed to her at first. Our first two meetings had a degree of awkwardness to them, but soon we learned how to work with each other, and when we did, 
The time we spent together gained a weight that only comes when people find a pure artistic connection and all effort becomes a service towards the final goal. I tried to control the noise as much as possible, but it was an old building. Sometimes, despite my best efforts, nothing could be helped. The room was filled with heavy curtains, and the windows remained shut and covered at all times to dampen any noise from the outside. It creates a dark and dim world, one it was all too easy to become comfortable with after a while. We worked for weeks, and though certain things would come close, there was always a lingering frustration. When I would listen back to my sketchbook recordings from the day, I would find intricate pieces, some even close to how I heard it in my head. But as much as I could put the right notes into the right order, it still wasn't right. With such a sonically controlled and unventilated space, the scent of her body would sometimes fill the room quite potently under the heat of the lamps and the intensity of the work. Every time it did, I longed to distill the language of that fragrance into song. It was as much a part of her as her skin, and to me, it was tangible enough that I could catch it on my fingers. For endless days staring at her reclining form upon the couch, I searched for a scale that translated the shape of her spine, a rhythm that conveyed the curve of her hips, the chord that could only be plucked from her heartstrings. Her skin rang with a resonance that was impossible to replicate by any flute, brass, or percussion instrument. I could hear the buzz of the color of her hair, but lacked the method to manifest it. Some days, I would see tears in her eyes, visibly moved by some of the pieces I would play, amazed that someone could see something that beautiful in her. She had been modeling for a long time, but what she was experiencing now was so different to the other artists she had posed for before. So different to the art that others had made of her before. Even at their best, they would only ever create a version of her that was already there. To have someone create something that was ripped from her arcane qualities, and for it to be as emotive as this music was, became overwhelming to her. And the music was good. For other composers, it may have been considered among their finest work. It may even have been my finest work. But it wasn't what I had heard. And anything less than the absolute realization of my vision was just compromise. After a while, I could see her better than she saw herself. She didn't know she had wings. Not angelic white feathers, but humble, leathery things that stretched out like arms. I could see. I knew they were there. 
as anyone with a passion can attest. The battle for creation is a maddening obsession, which is not easy to give up once pursued. At night, I went over what had been produced in the sessions, transposing, notating, harmonizing. My frustration boiled over frequently. Sometimes I would forget the passage of time until I saw the blear of sunlight through the gap in the curtain, and on those occasions I would despair even more, as with all of the time I had been afforded, I was no closer to my goal. There were few options left to me. I could present what I had constructed so far, which by any standards would be considered beautiful, but I would know that it would be an incomplete substitute. They say the success of art is measured in intention and execution. By those standards, no matter how arresting what I had made may have been, it would still have been a failure. That left the second option, the one which meant I would have to fully embrace the execution. When our sessions came to an end, I finally had everything I needed, and the music poured out of me. I made my recordings of each movement swiftly, and when I had finished and all was just how I wanted it to be, I made copies. I kept several for myself, sent several to various groups, radio channels, and publications, and personally delivered more than a dozen to Roxanne. She was delighted to put on the headphones. But despite her open mind and limitless artistic comprehension, when she played those recordings, she was left frozen still, bloodless and horrified. I had created something even the most liberal of minds couldn't abide. I'm not sure if she had finished the run-through of the first piece before she threw the headphones away and shrank back from me, screaming for me to leave. I left the rest of her copies on her table and left without any fuss. Strangely satisfied that my portrait had toppled the art scene's queen. It was she who called the police. And when they came to my studio, they found nothing but a bunch of instruments, some microphones, and a bloodstain soaked into the floorboards. Big enough and dried in enough that they would never be able to simply clean it. It would have to be destroyed. I had left a permanent impression upon the place. But I was long gone. On the day of mine and Kara's last session, it had been raining lightly, and the scent of it was in her hair when she arrived. We spoke little, as was our wont. I gave her her glass of water as normal, then set up the lights as she undressed. She was on the couch settling down before anything happened, but I could hear it working before that. She hadn't finished the whole glass, but it was enough for the contents to take hold. 
I could hear the shift in her breathing as it became more labored. She gasped and fought against the poison as it wormed its way through her system, coloring the air in hues of gray, black, and red. The microphones picked up every moment of her desperation, from her panicked breaths to the sound of her crawling across the floor, gesturing pleas for my help. All the way up to when she hit the ground, and with a strangely pitiable noise escaping from her lips, finally expired. I wasn't happy about doing it. It was a necessary measure. But something unexpected happened. The sound of her changed. Without life, the song of her was different. Not wholly changed, but noticeable. I had made my own experimental instruments before. I set to work with haste. From her bones, I fashioned flutes and percussion. The skin of her legs I dried out and stretched over a frame for a drum. From her hair, I made strings and plucked them across my mandolin. Using each of these terrible instruments and more, I created the recordings. They finally sounded perfect. No one remembers the muse, only what they inspire. Consider the lives of the subjects of any great painting. Whatever squalor, pain, or misery they may have lived through is irrelevant. They're immortalized into a vision of beauty. An idealized version of themselves. It doesn't matter who they were. Only the work matters. Creating something from nothing is a brutal act. It requires commitment and sacrifice. You might be wondering why I'm telling you all this. I can hear the color of your eyes. Shall I show you how they sound? This story was written and read by Andrew Bate, with music also by Andrew Bate. Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary is an audiobook series by Moth Sanctuary Productions. You can subscribe to the series on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and YouTube. Follow Moth Sanctuary Productions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or for more dark delights, visit mothsanctuaryproductions.com.